This episode is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada's Radio Meters program. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CITR 101.9 FM. Um, this is The Real World. Uh, the UBC Film Society would like to begin by expressing immense gratitude to the Musqueam people on whose traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory we operate on as a club and gather uh, today as we are recording this episode. Um, we invite you to reflect on the land on which you reside and who that land belongs to. We encourage you to also consider the representation or lack thereof of Indigenous peoples in the films you watch at or outside of our events. Um, so today, we're super excited to be joined by our new radio uh, junior, uh, Juan Pablo Sa. Juan, um, yeah, we're excited to have you on our team. I am very excited to be on your team as well, and it's good to be back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We had a good showing the first time, so, so Juan, Juan will be around for the remainder of our time, I guess, uh, as radio liaisons for the film society. The trial went well. Oh, um, hell yeah. So, <laughs> you guys like the free trial? Yeah. You yeah. decided to renew the subscription in yes, one? Exactly. The one experience is just beginning. Oh, um, so what we're going to do today is we're going to, in preparation for January, which is obviously the end of the year, and kind of all the big films of the year will have come out, we'll be doing a, um, a year in review in which we'll be going over our favorite films of the year um, kind of giving our lists and our top tens or top fives, maybe. Um, but in preparation for that, we're going to be going over the year 2020, so last year, and giving our each of our top ten films of the year of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we're just going to be working down from ten to one. Um, yeah, I guess do we have an order? Who wants to go first? Anyone? I guess. Oh, I guess. Like, I guess uh, we can, we can do some honorable mentions first. Let's do that yeah. before we get into the top ten. Perfect. Um, so Juan, let's. What, what is your first honorable mention? Okay, the first honorable mention that I would like to give is actually The Invisible Man, which The Invisible Man was directed by Lee Wanhall. Lee, Lee Wanhall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who is I? I if I'm, I, I may be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure he was. He he started up with James Wan doing the Saw films and okay. all that. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm 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 a big Lee Wanhall fan. Uh, I saw his previous film Upgrade, and I thought it was absolutely fucking amazing mm-hmm. um i'm a big fan of like black mirrory like sci-fi dystopian stories like that and mm-hmm. upgrade was that and i just think his spin on you know the invisible man mythos and what he did with that character and with that monster and how he just modernized it and brought it to the 21st century i i thought it was fucking amazing and have you have you seen the invisible the original invisible man i actually haven't seen the, the we, original. We, yeah we rewatched or we watched it i guess like a, a month ago uh just random like criterion selection it was criterion did a collection on these like um yeah these horror films from like the 60s or 50s like the original frankenstein and the original invisible man and all these films and so like the universal monsters yeah the universal monsters it was the first ever cinematic universe baby yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it was really good it was like they're pretty amazing special effects the special effects were really good it was kind of silly it was very silly so that was interesting um I mean, I I haven't seen the 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 remake. I guess Liam, you have seen the remake. It? Is far more serious, um, which is that's okay. It oh, was yeah. it's a it's a good. Um, what's her name? I'm gonna blank on her name now. Oh, who? Ah, the the, the main Elizabeth actress? Moss. Yeah, it was a pretty good Elizabeth Moss. She kind of just like carries the film completely, um, which is awesome. It's kind of like the I think the whole movie's built around. Um, so my first um, honorable mention is gonna be Unhinged. No. It's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be. Uh, I think I'm gonna go with Freaky. I think Freaky was really fun. It's um, a Vince Vaughn performance. Fun, fun little story here. Will, Will and I went with some friends to see Freaky. It was the first film we saw 
in that like gap in, where COVID was kind of like we pretended it wasn't happening. Um, <laughs> and so we went and saw it and it was like very fun. It was there was one moment that was like laugh out loud hilarious that I won't spoil because it was great. But um, we came out of the theater and there was this woman with a, with a phone like flipped around like this. Um, like a mic. Like a mic. And she uh, she she ran she up to ambushed Will. Me. She ambushed Will, and no. she's like, "So Vince Vaughn is he making a comeback?" And she, <laughs> and she puts the phone in Will's face, and he like, oh. I totally froze. I had no idea what to say because I I kept, I couldn't I couldn't even like think of a Vince Vaughn movie off the top of my head that was like, well, you know, like Drive Across Concrete or uh-huh. um, Cell, Brawl and Cell Block. So I haven't like, I haven't seen either of those films. Yeah. So I was like I was really stumbling over myself. <laughs> it was I, hilarious. It'll be interesting to see if that quote ever made it into her piece on Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, interesting little story. Yeah. If you're listening to this random woman with a microphone, <laughs> <laughs> let us know. Yeah. Um, so let's. Uh, I think Vince Vaughn should... actually, I'll, I'll say this real yeah. quick. Vince Vaughn had a 2020. He was also in uh, Duke Clark's Arkansas, which was uh, not good. Pretty brutal. But Vince Vaughn is making a comeback, so that was probably the the subject of her piece. So Clark Duke, sorry, not Duke Clark. Same person. Same it's person. Just Same not thing. a good movie. Yeah. Um, but we're gonna start with number with. Let's go with Will's number ten. Um. One more thing, Promising Young Woman, we didn't, none of us liked it. Um, so let's go on to number 10. Uh, I'll preface <laughs> this by saying Liam and I didn't really see any of like the Oscar-nominated uh, movies. Uh, so that kind of changes our list maybe a little bit. Probably not, actually, now that I think about it. But um, for me, number 10, I have Defy Bloods, Spike Lee's, Spike Lee's movie uh, about Vietnam. Um, I thought it, the, when I saw it, I didn't know if I really liked it. It was a bit of like a... It was a unique viewing experience. I, I was really with friends um, one random night. Uh, it was it was super weird. It was a bizarre viewing experience. One of them had his girlfriend there, and she hated the movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was. I wasn't. I'm not sure. I was like ready for it at the time that I watched it, but it sat, sat well with me. So I I, I really like Spike Lee a lot, um, and I think it's a it's a good good entrance into his filmography, I guess. So, either of you have comments about The Five Bloods? I, I did see The Five Bloods. Um, I will just start off by saying that I'm I'm not the biggest Spike Lee fan. I've only seen three of his films. Uh, I really, really like Do the Right Thing. And yep. I think um, Black Clansman was a you know pretty great film. 25th Hours. Um, 25th Hours is probably one of his, yeah. I'll check, check it out. out. <laughs> Thank you for the recommendation. But yes, in regards to The Five Bloods, um, I liked it. I, I really did. I think it had some amazing performances. I think Delroy Lindo should have been nominated for Best Actor in the Oscars. He yeah. was fucking amazing. Yeah. And Chadwick Boseman also did an amazing job. Yeah, I, I really like the film. Like it's, I, I didn't love it. Like I'm not like, oh, fuck you, it's amazing. But I, I, I did really enjoy it. Yep. Okay, so I guess I'll go with my number 10. Um, I'm going to say my number 10 was Palm Springs. with uh, Who directed this film again? Uh, Max Barkbacow. Uh, Andy Samberg. It's an Andy Samberg uh, rom-com uh, with uh, Kristen Milotti. Mil- Mil- Milotti? I don't know. It was whatever the names. It was very fun. Um, it was really... Uh, it's like one of those time travel, uh, like Groundhog Day things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Andy Samberg just is really, really great in it. And so is uh, Kristen Milotti. And their chemistry is like... is, It's really compelling. Um and it was kind of, it was pretty heartwarming at the end. So, I, I mean, it was a great time. And it's kind of like, it doesn't take itself too seriously. And that's obviously the kind of thing that I like a lot. Um, yeah, I would highly recommend it. Have, have you seen Palm yep. Springs? Will? Palm Springs will make an appearance in my list later on. So I really like Palm Springs. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, in regards to Palm Springs, I love the film. I think it's fucking great. I think it's hilarious. I think J.K. Simmons' performance. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was so fucking funny. <laughs> and out of nowhere. Just this, such a weird performance. 
Um, but no, I, I really like Palm Springs. Uh, I really like this weird subgenre of like people being stuck in time loops, like you yeah. know, Groundhog Days, Palm Springs, um, Edge of Tomorrow. I think those mm. three films are yeah. are all fucking amazing in their own respective. Happy ways. Death Day. Yes, Happy Death Day as well. It's a good one. Um, yeah, what's your number ten? Okay, my number ten. Um, okay, first of all, one thing I wanted to say is Judas and the Black Messiah. Even though that's an amazing film, and I really fucking adore it. Uh, it won't be in my list because it's technically a 2021 film. It came out in, in February this year, even though it competed with all of these films in, you know, last year's award season. Uh, but yeah, it, it won't be in this list. But it, you know, if it was a 2020 film, it would be in this list because it's fucking amazing. Uh, but okay, my number 10 pick uh, would be Soul, um, you know, Pixar's Soul. And I, I don't know what I could say about Soul that hasn't been said already. I think it's an amazing film. I am a huge Pixar fan, and I think Soul was just another home run for the studio. And, you know, Pixar, they just have this ability of making animated films that are technically for children, but also for adults, and that also dabble in this, like, incredibly deep topics about life and the meaning of life and what's my purpose and why am I here. And this is a whole fucking movie about a guy who has been blinded into achieving this one goal. And then when he's finally about to achieve it, he dies. And then the fact that he dies just makes him reconsider everything that he's lived through and makes him reconsider, okay, what was the purpose of life? Like, if that goal wasn't my purpose, then why, what did I get out of this? Like, what, what is the whole point of going to Earth? And also, I, I, I must say this, but Tina Fey as 22, holy shit, <laughs> she was hilarious. <laughs> that character was fucking amazing. But no, I, I don't know what to say. So amazing movie. There is one uh, conversation uh, in between the main character and, oh, I forgot the name, but, you know, an, another musician. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she tells a story about uh, f- fishes who, and one fish who is looking for the ocean. And he's looking for the ocean and he meets fishes and he's like, where's the ocean? And the other fish is like, hey, this is the ocean. And he's like, no, 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 this is water. I need the ocean. And I'm making a, ter- I'm doing a terrible job telling this story, but holy shit, that, that scene is amazing. I, I love Soul. Incredible film. And the music. Holy shit, the music. Just mwah, 10 out of 10. Um, so I have not seen uh, Soul. Yeah, neither of us have seen well, Soul. So we're going to check it out. It's a gap in our, in our knowledge. Pixar but... films in general are a gap for us, but let's go with Will's number nine. Yeah, I, I left my list. I'm sorry. Uh... So number nine is Minari for me, uh, directed by Lee Isaac Chung. Really good Stephen Young performance. Um, it's heartwarming. I, I don't like. I liked it a lot more when I first saw it, and I think it didn't age as well for me. So I maybe started up closer to like five or six, and it's moved down for me. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, really, really good. A um, little bit of slow cinema, as we like to say, mm-hmm. but it's heartwarming, and and I think it's like a it's a it's an important story. So it's nice to see. I see something like that get. I think it, it got a decent amount of um, Oscar uh, buzz buzz surrounding it. Um, so that was nice. So I did not. I personally did not connect very well with Minari, even though I thought it was well made. And that's yeah. It, it kind of I, when we were doing our pre our edits before this, our final last second edits before we recorded, I moved Minari out of my top ten, and I felt a little bad about it, but <laughs> I had to do what I had to do. Yeah. I mean, in regards to Minari, I really like it. I think it's a good film. Uh, yeah. Like, slow, plotless cinema is no, not particularly my cup of tea. I'm not saying that Minari doesn't have a plot, because yes, there is a plot, you know, as subtle as it may be. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I, I liked it. Like, I, I enjoyed it, but it's it's not a film that, like, 
you know, makes me shake on the inside. Yeah, know? and I, like, I tend to actually like, like, meandering films like that, and the fact that it didn't, like, really resonate with me, I think speaks a, a little bit to, like, it didn't quite hit its mark, maybe. Because, um, like, on paper, I think it would be something that I would really enjoy. But it was still really well made, and, and it was good, so... I'd recommend checking it out if you haven't already. I will say my father really loved Minari because of him, but we know my father, he has a chicken business in Colombia. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, like, seeing this guy is just sexing the chickens and uh-huh. figuring out who, who's a male and who's a woman, like, he was like, ah, he was like, that shit's amazing. <laughs> That's me. Nice. Uh, especially because, like, he, he, he told me something. Okay, I don't know how accurate this <laughs> thing that I'm about to say is. Uh, but my father told me that, you know, in my farm, when we sex the chicken and we, when we try to figure out which one's a male and which one's a woman, like, we do it, like, looking at their wings, you know, looking at their feathers. Uh, but here in this film, like, the main characters, they sex chickens by looking at their butt. Yeah. And I, I remember watching this and I was like, that the fuck is going on? <laughs> why, why are they doing that? And he said, like, yeah, that's something that, like, only very few people can do. <laughs> it's like this great talent. And I'm like, god damn. I mean, that's cool. Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess my number eight will go with mine or number nine, sorry, uh, is on the rocks. Sofia Coppola. Um, uh, I had a great time in the theater watching this. My expectations were honestly pretty low, even though I like Sofia Coppola quite a bit. Um, and I just thought Bill Murray was fantastic. Um, and yeah, we, we saw it in the, it like, it was like in a matinee with some, with like four friends and then a bunch of old women and oh, everyone. Yeah. And they, I think someone actually asked us after the movie, they're like, why were you there? <laughs> and, we're, and, we're, and we're like, oh, you know, we're film students. This is the kind of thing we see. Um, but yeah, it was like, I, I thought it was very fun. Um, it was pretty heartwarming. And I thought a lot of the, um, I thought, I think Sofia Coppola's like voice is really interesting. And it's a nice like change of pace from a lot of more mainstream, especially rom-coms, but um, in general, like more mainstream drama. So yeah, I would recommend it. I don't think a lot of people saw it. It was like an Apple TV release yeah. or something. Yeah. But um, yeah, I would recommend it. Yeah. I never watched it, but fair enough. Yeah. yeah, I really like it. It's a, it's higher up on my list, uh, so I had a really good time with it. So Amazing. Yeah, so let's go with your number nine. My number nine has to be David Fincher's Mank. Oh mm. boy, oh boy. Like for me, when I think about like some of the greatest directors of all time, like David Fincher is definitely one of the ones that pops up like almost instantly. Mm-hmm. I fucking adore David Fincher. I, I love his range. I love his versatility. I love his style. And like what he did with Mank, like being so unlike anything he's done before, like so different to Seven and like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and, and Gone Girl, but you know, just as amazing. Um, Gary Oldman's performance, I thought was absolutely amazing. Uh, all of the performances were, were fucking great in Mank, but yeah, I, I, I love the film. I think it's fucking great. I will say uh, that I don't think it's a you know, a really accessible film. Like you, I was going to say that yeah. more exactly. Like, if they don't find it accessible. Yeah, like, like you know, like, at, at least for me watching it, like, the movie doesn't take any time trying to explain to you who the fuck Orson Welles is or who the fuck Louis B. Mayer is or yeah. what was going on yeah. in, you know, in, in, in Hollywood in the 30s. Like, the film already expects you to know all that stuff and the film just, like, hits the ground running and keeps going with it. And I know that, you know, for some people that may be like, like, na-na-na. Uh, me, personally, I... I I, I pretty much sort of knew who these people were beforehand and what was going on. And I, I, I sort of knew the story uh, behind Citizen Kane and the whole Mank versus Orson Welles debate. Uh, so I, I, I didn't feel that lost. Uh, but yes, I, I do agree. It is it, it is a film like made for movie fans of this golden age of Hollywood. That's the thing. That's what's interesting for me because like Will and I had been watching a lot of like those like 1950s noirs that mm-hmm. were kind of or 1940s even that like the world of this film is kind of takes place in. And so like I feel like I was very comfortable with that 
like with the setting of it, but I still found it very hard to really care mm. what was happening. I mean, I think I, from my understanding, I think it was, there were some, definitely some inaccuracies in the film. Um, but I don't like, I can't cite them right now. I can't remember them. I just remember thinking like, this is a little weird. And I wasn't actually a huge fan of the, of the photography. Like, oh, really? yeah. Cause people were saying it was, it emulated the film look from, from obviously the early Hollywood era. Um, and I didn't really, I just didn't, I, it didn't hit me the way that I wanted it to. I guess maybe my expectations might have been very high for it mm. because I love Seven. Or, I mean, not, I don't love Seven, actually. You I love, don't love Seven? No, I love Zodiac a lot. I think Zodiac oh, yeah. is like one of the best films of the, of the decade. So, yeah, but didn't connect with it that much. I um, will say, in, in, in regards to Mank, like now, now they bring up the photography. I thought the cinematography was genius. Like some of the visual references and like homages to Yeah, I saw, I noticed that and, and I would like that. But I think you're talking more of like the 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 look of the film like, yeah the look it, it looked it. very digital that's the thing about mm. fincher like his films are very digital and, yeah. and sometimes it works and sometimes i think like in this case the the blend the the blend of of digital with this like aspirational film aesthetic i just don't think it worked that well yeah and that's enough. okay the, the last thing i'll say about mank before we move on is that i, I also love how the the story structure of mank itself like sort of replicates the story structure of citizen kane because like mm-hmm. you know I, I i i saw this critic i don't remember who but i remember he talked about how the story structure of of citizen kane is basically a spiral you know a spiral that is slowly circling towards the center the center being the answer to the question what is Rosebud, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love that in, in, in Mank, like the whole film is also like using this spiral structure, circling in on the answer to the question, what the fuck happened and why did Mank end up writing this script bashing on William Randall first? Like, mm-hmm. and I, I thought, you know, that reveal, it, it, it paid off. I thought it was great. And like all the metaphors and like the, the organ grinders monkey and how they use that to parallel uh, Mankiewicz's struggle... Um, yeah. I think it's a great film, but I I, I get it. I, I like the 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 delve into the politics. I thought it was interesting too. So that's yeah. a, a point for it. Uh, it's outside of my top ten, but it was I, I I'll say I like the movie. Yeah. So I th- where are we where are we at right now? I think we should take a break. We should take a break. We should go listen to music on the radio. Yeah, we're so gonna, let's do, go we're gonna do music, music on the radio. We do that on the radio. Okay. Looking to get a reliable and affordable used bike? 
need a repair or service to your current ride, come to the Bike Kitchen, UBC's full-service community bike shop, located in room 36 of the UBC Life Building. Our hours are Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you buy a bike from us, bring it back when you're done using it, and we'll give you half of your money back as long as you took care of it. If it needs repairs, we'll split the cost with you. Yep, you heard us right. We'll give you crisp dollar bills for half the original price of any used bike that you buy from us, minus the cost of repairs. For more information about our buyback policy and to stay up to date on any COVID-19 inspired changes, find us online at thebikekitchen.com. Every Friday at noon, CITR takes you on a journey through Thunderbird Radio Land. A journey of sound and song, of words and music, of the now and then, of the right here and the far away. It's the Eclectic Lunch, every Friday at 12 noon on Thunderbird Radio, 101.9 FM. Slice of Life Art and Gift Shop is Vancouver's choicest destination for one-of-a-kind artist-made prints, posters, screen prints, riso prints, paintings, acrylic paintings, watercolor paintings, ceramic mugs, ceramic plates, ceramic bowls, ceramic pots, lapel pins, hats, toques, crochet bathing suits, jewelry, trinkets, knickknacks, hand-painted signs, curated thrift, and a bunch more stuff that won't fit in this designated block of airtime. Slice of Life Art and Gift Shop, located at 1636 Venables, just off commercial. Open 11 to 6, six days a week. And we're back. That was music on the radio. You were listening to music on the radio, and we're back with the real world. Yep. Um, we are going to... Where are we at right now? Who last We went? just uh, did our top nine. So, so we're, we we're are currently doing a top uh, ten of... 2020 in preparation for our uh year-end uh episode coming in january um so we're gonna go with will's number eight film number eight let's see okay so not much to say we already talked about palm springs but that's that's what i have at number eight so i was gonna breeze through that one so i'm gonna go with my number eight is a film that juan has very high and so we can kind of open that can of worms now but um yeah for me i have uh, another round thomas fintenberg hell yeah yeah it was um Another one of the Mads Mikkelsen, Thomas Vintenberg uh, films that uh, just kind of is like really good. And it, um, it's, it's it's like it's the alcoholism is an interesting um, like because initially you kind of feel like that was just going to be like a fun, you know, fun time with these with these with these guys who are doing this cool experiment. And then all of a sudden it kind of gets really depressing. And then, you know, without spoiling, it becomes very uplifting again, um, in my opinion. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I would say it's not quite as good as The Hunt. It didn't hit me as hard as The Hunt did, but um, yeah, I liked it a lot. And so it's my number eight film. Should I save my comments of no, The I, Hunt I mean, when so I mention talk, them? Or, let's or, talk about it now. Let's talk about okay, it right yeah. now. So The Hunt, uh, no, 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 not The Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> another round, sorry. Another round, fucking adored. I do agree that it, you know, it is, for me, it is not as good as The Hunt, but we're talking about two masterpieces here. Mm-hmm. Like, for the record, I, I would give both of this films 10s out of 10s. Uh, I think Another Round is an amazing film. Uh, Thomas Vinterberg, he is just an incredible director, and he also wrote the script. He he did an amazing job. And Mads Mikkelsen, holy shit. Like, he may actually be, like, my favorite actor of all time. I think he wow. is amazing. Like, I, I've constantly said that my favorite performance ever, period, has to be Mads Mikkelsen in The Hunt. Uh, but his job here in, in Another Round, he, he also, you know, he did an amazing job. 
I will say another round, this film has probably one of my favorite like closing scenes ever. Yeah. Like I think the ending of this film, holy shit, it's insane. Like it, yeah. it, after I saw the movie, like it just stuck in my head for like weeks on. And I do agree. I love I love how it, it shifts and changes in, in tone and genre, like halfway through the film. Like at the very beginning, it's it's sort of a comedy, you know, yeah. it's sort of silly. It's everyone's having fun. Uh, but then, you know, the other shooter ups and then it, it it quickly becomes real and you know, consequences start happening. And, you know, I think that's you know, that's that's a great metaphor or allegory to alcoholism and you know how it is, how at first it's like super fun and great, but then you know, if you overdo it, then it can quickly become real and it can quickly bring on some, you know, hefty consequences. So I, I love another round. I, yeah. I'll, I'll mention it later on in my list, but holy shit, I fucking adore this film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I watched it, for some for some reason, I was just off put by the ending and I can't remember why. I just remember there's like this, I got a bad feeling in my stomach when I watched it. And that like, I don't, I can't, on, up until that point, I was like really, really, really liking it. Uh, and then the endings, like everyone talks about how they love the ending. I don't, I can't, still can't say why. I need to rewatch the film and see how I feel about it again. But that's just me. I think I'm in the very small minority there. But still, huh. number uh, another round was eleven on my in, in my list, so just outside mine. So, so it, it was still really good. Your number eight, Juan. My number eight. Okay, my number eight has to be Guy Ritchie's <laughs> The Gentleman. Have any mm. of you two seen? Yeah, it? I saw yes. The Gentleman. Okay, yeah. now nah, I. I love The Gentleman. I'm a big Guy Ritchie fan. I adore Snatch and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. And I think this one, The Gentleman, is easily his third best film after, you know, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch. That's the thing that, like, when you say best Guy Ritchie films, you can name two, and then it's like... <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I think Sherlock Holmes, A Game, a game oh, of Shadows... Oh, those are good. Those is, are very yeah, good, I, but I they're, they're, not, they're not on the level of, um, of Snatch, especially... Yeah. But also, Wrath of Man, which came out in twenty twenty one. I think yes. Wrath of Man was Wrath of Man was great. It was. It was. I think it was okay. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't. A, I. Jason Statham is limited. Yeah. That's what I'll say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll reserve my comments in regards to Jason Statham. Uh, but yeah, no. Hey, The Gentleman. I thought it was an amazing film. Um, I, I I love these movies that have like you know dense narratives and it's like plot twist after plot twist after plot twist and turn of event after turn of event and you know like they feel like you know, the intricate machinery inside a clock, where it's like multiple cogs and pieces just coming together to create this big story. And yeah, I, I know that some people are like, ah, too many plot twists. Like it, it completely lost me, but I, I was in for the ride. Yeah. Um, also, Matthew McConaughey's performance. All right, all right, all right. God damn, what an amazing performance. And yeah, also like the, the, the whole story structure and how it's like a story within a story within a story. And it sort of reflects like, you know, a Russian nesting doll of a movie, sort mm -hmm. of. And, okay, I know you guys will know this, but the cameo in the third act of the film, I think that just made the whole movie so meta. And it just elevated to a whole other stage. That I was like, you're going to have to jog shit. my memory. Who was it? Will I? Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is a spoiler for The Gentleman, yeah, by the mute, way. Mute, mute for a second. Yeah, mute for a second. Who was it? Um, Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie appears at the end. Like, like after, oh, yeah, yeah, after yeah. the characters discuss about writing a script about The yeah, Gentleman, yeah, yeah, yeah. then yeah, they yeah, take yeah. it to Miramax Studios and they I, give yeah. it to Guy Ritchie. I like, yeah, that was good. I, I love that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I, I don't know where I have uh, on my list. Unmute now, by the way. Yeah, no more spoilers. Yeah, you can unmute if you're hearing this. You can unmute. Uh, I think it was. I think I enjoyed it. I don't know where it is on my list, but it might not even be on my list. Yeah. It was fun. I liked it. It's fun. I, I'm a Guy Ritchie fan. I don't think Will is as much as I am, but um, yeah, I, I liked it. it was so fun. let's do your number seven. Or I'm six? on seven. Uh, yeah, we're on to seven. So okay. another quick one for me. We already talked about On the Rocks, but that's where On the Rocks 
lands for me. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, my number seven, I don't have much to say about it. I just think it was good. Um, it's I'm Thinking of Anything, Charlie Kaufman. You don't have much to say about I don't I'm Thinking much... of Anything. <laughs> it's, like, very dense. Obviously, it's very dense. I think I love the look of the film, and I think um, I think uh, Jesse Plemons, I think I said in an earlier episode, to buy stock in Jesse Plemons. He's awesome. Yeah. Um, also, uh, is it, what's what's her name? Is it Jesse Buckley? Is that her name? She was fantastic. Yeah, Jesse Buckley. She was fantastic in that movie. Um, and I love the twist at the end. And it's very, very, it kind of is like a book, the way the film uh, plays. And I appreciated that. It's very literary. And yeah. Yeah, the 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 driving, the opening sequence, the driving was really, really good. And then I, I thought the best part of the film was... Um, when we were in the house with like Tony Collette and uh, Tony Collette was fantastic. Yeah, Tony Collette was well. really really good. A lot uh, of really great performances. I, I really really liked it. It's one of those movies where um, after you finish it, you have like this urge to look up why what happened. Um, and I stopped myself after I watched it, and I kind of just it's good to think about it. Yeah, let myself stop and think, and and I think that was better. I think I came to the the I guess if there's a right conclusion, I came to the right conclusion myself. So um, yeah, I really like it. It's it's up. It's up there for me as well in this in my top ten. Yeah, so I think I I'll really appreciate again. Charlie Kaufman, um, like kind of like making transgressive, like stretching the the idea of reality in his films, um, and like really using the form. Um, like I said, it's like a book because obviously he uses a lot of the literary devices. He's a writer before a filmmaker, but I think he's actually an excellent filmmaker too. Um, so you know, Snatchy New York obviously is like a good example of that. But like I think he's good at integrating like the actual medium of film into like this literary approach to writing stories. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what he does next. I agree. I love, I'm thinking of ending things. I think it's an amazing film. Really fucking great. Very unsettling, like, it, 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 very weird while I was watching it. But after I watched it, it, I, you know, it just stuck with me. And I just kept thinking about it, like, months after having seen it. Yeah. Um, I love Charlie Kaufman. Um, um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Being John Malkovich. Those two are, like... Some of my favorite films ever. Eternal Sunshine is one of the best. One of the, I think one of the best scripts ever written. Oh yeah, it's I, pretty amazing. I agree, and but it's also Michael Gondry directed. Incredibly. Yeah, yeah, I, like I, I, I know like his his writing work is amazing, but I also yeah. think that as a director, he's also done some amazing stuff. As yeah. you mentioned, Synecdoche, New York, and now uh, I'm thinking of ending things, and also Anomalisa. I'm not the biggest fan of Anomalisa, but I, I really respect it. it. I haven't seen it, but goddamn, I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, okay, after after we finish recording this, we we must discuss okay. what we interpreted out of this film <laughs> yeah i'll try and I'll, I'll think i can remember yeah it's been so long but i liked i remember liking it a lot and so yeah. i'll say this i think i like synecdoche new york better than uh i'm thinking i found that i found that I film agree. for yeah. me i found that film so unpleasant that um i didn't like it as much as i'm thinking of anything but oh. yeah I, I love philip seymour hoffman he's my favorite modern actor um his performance was like it wore me down yeah um so yeah let's go with your number seven okay here we go <laughs> I think I'm about to open a can of worms that I don't know if I'm going to regret afterwards. We're going to try and hold the lid yeah, down of this yeah, can of worms. Yeah, hold, hold on tight because the Pandora's box is about to be opened. Uh, but no, my number seven, and goddamn, I'm going to try to defend this film as much as I can, is Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. Okay, me personally... I'm a bigger and Sorkin. Fan. Can I just say, per, like Will and I, we find his politics insufferable, and so we don't like his films. That's that's like the preface to this. Okay, and the preface I will give is I'm a lot more ignorant in regards to politics than Will and Liam I. So I, I I honestly went into this film knowing nothing about the politics or about the real life story or about what happened. Uh, I I just saw the film and for what it was, I thought it was really fucking great. I you know the dialogue was quippy, the the, the performances were great. Uh, it was very energetic, very fast-paced. It was, you know, it, I, I was just 
grabbed by it and it yeah it it it, it, it took hold of me and never let go um i thought the performances were fucking amazing sasha baron cohen i think he did an amazing job um yeah i don't know what to say i i love the script i love aaron storkin's style it's, it's very fast it's very quippy it's very energetic and I also love courtroom dramas. Like, I'm a huge courtroom drama sucker. Uh, so, I mean, you can see why I love Aaron yeah. Sorkin. Like, I, A Few Good Men, um, uh, the, uh, what's, oh. The Otto uh, Preminger film. The what? The Otto Preminger film, what's it called again? Uh, no, but, I, yeah, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of the Fincher film, the oh. Facebook. Uh, Social oh, Network. Yeah, <laughs> Social yeah. Network is, like, one of my favorite films ever made. Mm-hmm. And A Few Good Men is amazing. And The Trial of the Chicago 7, I thought, was a fantastic movie. But I, I know you guys disagree. Yeah, I mean, not, The Trials of Chicago 7 was actually the first review on Letterboxd I ever wrote. Or the second one. The first one was, um, it was for uh, The Third Man. I just I just said um, Orson Welles. That was my review. But um, yeah, The Trials <laughs> of Chicago 7, like, really deeply upset me. Um, and I hate Aaron Sorkin for a lot of different reasons. I don't, I, I don't like his quippy dialogue. It's kind of offensive to me. And I think this was one of the worst films I've ever seen. Yeah, it's at the bottom of my list for the year. Uh, I'm just going to quote a review from Letterboxd that I think kind of um, summarizes what I think about it. Um, it starts off by listing a bunch of Who real... Review? Uh, his, his name is Evan Pincus. Uh, you can on check Letterboxd. it out on Letterboxd. Uh, he first uh, lays out a bunch of real quotes from um, those who were on trial in the Chicago 7, so David Dellinger, Tom Hayden, and Jerry Rubin. And uh, so they sort of misalign with what was said in the film, and then uh, this review goes on to say, Insane Sorkin brain shit to twist these words into the worst thing about the Vietnam War was our fallen American troops. Pound for half pound, maybe the most disrespectful movie of my lifetime. Um, that's how I feel about the film. Uh, it's It really comes down to politics. And I think the fact that it is um, so appealing uh, to, the, to, to largely to the mainstream and the fact that his style is so like, it, it is like Digestible. entertaining uh, in a way that like many people really really enjoy it and i think that's that's not a bad thing but the fact that he uh seeps in his terrible politics into that and just it's 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 really bad it's really it's offensive so once um, again last thing i'll say i don't know about his politics i don't no, know about this so politics. so we should also say like if you like this movie then we're not we don't it's not like we don't like you yeah obviously but we we just feel like personally or we just feel individually that the film is like deeply offensive yeah so and, like you know regardless of how historically accurate or inaccurate it is like some of my favorite films based on based on real life stories yeah. are incredibly historically inaccurate like the social network saving Mr. Banks. Yeah, Braveheart. For well, God for example, <laughs> the social network it's it's not as problematic if you're changing Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, for the trials of Chicago Seven, the uh, political implications are, are a lot more more damaging, I think. And also, Sorry. when a film is like when it's when a film is well made, like the trials of Chicago Seven, it deserves to be critiqued on a, like a more a deeper level, I think. Whereas you know, some yeah, people, like I think we can both say like, um, like you know intellectually that it's not the worst film of the year. Like, Ava's the worst film of the year, for <laughs> Fantasy sure. Island is my Fan- I haven't seen Fantasy Island, it's the worst. but Ava is really bad. But it's kind of like in that Wonder Woman 1984 where, like, there's entertain Like, it's well-made, it's it's a studio movie, it's good It's good in that sense that it deserves, like, uh, a harder critique, I think. So, that's where The Trial of Chicago 7 The fact ends. that you guys are comparing Wonder Woman 1984 <laughs> to The Trial I mean, the craft, is, the craft is not awful. Uh, it's pretty bad, actually. I wouldn't compare the two. I would say like yeah. Anyways, let's let's move on. I think we should move on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, so let's it's number six. Six. Yeah. Quick one for me again. Uh, I'm thinking of anything. That's where that lands for me. Okay. So. My number six. Um, we're gonna try and move a little bit quicker now. I think because we're running out of time. But my number six is Sound of Metal. Um, ingenious sound design. Um, incredible. Just like experience watching the film. 
um, kind of upsetting and scary. But um, I think its conclusions are really uh, positive. And it was, I mean, it was obviously an incredible performance from uh, Riz Ahmed. Yeah, I, was, I, we, like I said, we hadn't seen like all of the um, Oscar <clears throat> movies uh, of 2020, but I thought Riz Ahmed should probably should've... the best performance. Yeah, of the I, year. I, I, I would have given him the Oscar if it was, it was my decision. Obviously, it's not, but yeah. Okay. So what's, what's your number six? Yeah, no, about sound of metal, I'll just say that I, I completely agree. I think it's an absolute masterpiece. Riz Ahmed, what a performance! Yeah. And I, I love movies that are able to put me in the shoes of of characters who are nothing like me, mm-hmm. and. God damn, this movie really put me in the shoes of a character who was going deaf. And I, I that just blew my mind. And I, I think the ending is also beautiful and poignant yeah. and it just stuck with me. I, I love Sound of Metal. But okay, my number six is actually The Father. And I adore The Father. I, I think it's really fucking great. Um, okay, I know I may have a subjective bias going into this film uh, because I also have a grandfather who suffers from dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, so it... It really tugged in my heartstrings to see a film from the perspective of someone like my grandfather and to finally be able to see the world through his eyes and be able to understand like, holy shit, this this is sort of what my grandfather is going through. Because, you know, as myself, I, I, I see my grandfather and I'm, I'm just a, you know, I'm a 20 year old mm-hmm. person. Uh, but, you know, this film gave me an insight into his mind and allowed me to understand him better. And for that reason alone... Um, I just completely adore this film. But apart from my subjective attachment to The Father, uh, I just think it's an amazing movie. I think Anthony Hopkins' performance... Okay, this is the one that I would have given the best... We haven't seen The Father, so I'll hold my tongue there. I'm totally willing to to give it to anthony hopkins yeah. so i i, I think i think he killed it like yeah. the amount of vulnerability that he showed in this film is unbelievable and i think the script the script but the set design the production design in this film is is fucking genius because like mm-hmm. even though you're seeing the events through anthony hopkins and due to the fact that he suffers from dementia and alzheimer's like he doesn't really you know time passage doesn't really register to him but in the set, like, you know, yeah, in the set, in the rooms, you see, like, slight changes, like a painting is gone, or, like, a new portrait appears, or, like, he's in a completely different space, but but you feel like Anthony Hopkins, like, you, you, you didn't see him go somewhere else, like, in your mind, he's still in the same place, so, like, once again, just like The Sound of Metal was able to put me in the shoes of someone who was going deaf, this film was able to put me in the shoes of someone who suffers from Alzheimer's and dementia, and I, I, I love this movie. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Hopkins did win the Oscar, correct? Yes. And that that was like a bizarre sequence at the Oscars. Remember watching that? They just yeah. like announced it and then all of a sudden everything gets shut down because it seemed like they were like preparing for the Chadwick Boseman yep. uh, Oscar. That was a insane Oscar moment. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I think we're going to take uh, another break before we come back for our, our top fives. Um, so, yeah, we're going to go listen to more music on the radio like we do on the radio. Cure my head and lost the money backed into a bigger running way. Strewn across the street, got tracks full wheels, drinking liquor as yell, hey, he could've killed that girl. Echoes from the shitty distant members of the
your new year with a new skill. This spring, Emily Carr University's Continuing Studies is proud to offer courses and workshops online and in person. Choose from over 100 courses, from weekend workshops designed for beginners to skills-focused certificate programs. Whether you're seeking an artistic outlet or looking to add to your professional skill toolkit, Emily Carr has you covered. From painting to print media, industrial design to web design, there's something for everyone. Find your fit at ecuad.ca cs. Register now and commit to your creative future. Interested in making radio? How about hosting your own show? At CITR, you can make your radio dreams come true by joining a collective. From news, art, sports, to gender empowerment, accessibility, music, and the BIPOC collective, there's definitely something for everyone. Explore new worlds both virtually and at our station, and be prepared to have a blast with some new pals. For more information or to join, please visit citr.ca slash get involved. Welcome back to the uh, real world on CITR. We're doing our top 10 of uh, the year 2020 for films. Um, so we're going to start with Will's number five. Number five, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, uh, Jim Cummings. Uh, we just watched Jim Cummings' The Beta Test uh, for in the Vancouver uh, International Film Festival. Really, really good. Um, yeah, what can I say about The Wolf of Snow Hollow? It's, it's just a great werewolf movie. And like Liam and I really like um, genre films like this. We... Did we we watched this before we wrote one, our werewolf film? Yeah, yeah. So that was influential in, in that. Um, so yeah, really awesome Jim Cummings performance. Um, it's kind of like the same in like a similar character to the Thunder Road character. Jim Cummings kind of like dealing with someone who's has relational issues, um, has issues with alcohol, things like that. Um, so yeah, really really great film. Yeah, Jim Cummings is like quickly becoming one of my favorite uh, filmmakers working right now, and. Uh... The Wolf of Snow Hollow, I've, we've seen it twice now, and it got better the second time. Um, I absolutely love it. It's Jim Cummings. His, 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 his writing is incredible. His directing is really strong. And his obviously his performance, he's like chewing scenery the entire film. Um, and yeah, like it just, I love that it's this combination of Fargo and these, these werewolf films. And I, I mean, I just, it's like kind of, honestly, this film was like made for me. I think Jim Cummings like knew that I needed this movie, so he made it for me. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, so like, I, it should be higher on my list, but I just, yeah, it might even be, maybe it would be higher on my list if I thought about it some more, but I absolutely love the movie. Um, I know if you haven't seen it, but... Yeah, I actually haven't seen a single Jim Cummings film. I so. think you should, I mean, Jim Cummings is like the, like I said on our last podcast with you, he's like a, the face of the of the indie movement in America right now. Hell it's yeah. like low budget, kind of like do-it-yourself thing, but somehow he's turned it into like, he's making these films that are like these... Um, <clears throat> You know, all like these like pseudo blockbusters that are made for low budgets, but are ma- meant to play for big audiences. Um, yeah, I think it's amazing. But yeah. just to be clear, this is also your your number five, right? That's this is my number five already. as well. Yeah, good. My number five is Sound of Metal, and we've already discussed Sound of Metal, so yeah, nice. Yeah, that's all right, good. we can move on to my number four, uh, Possessor, uh, Brendan Cronenberg, twenty twenty. Um, yeah, that was like an insane theater experience. Uh, it was really, really, really disturbing. Um, and I didn't like it, I think, when I left the theater because I was so disturbed by it. Um, and at that time, I guess I hadn't really seen like a ton of disturbing films. So that 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 turned me off. But it's aged well. And, and it's Liam like really, really loves it. So he's like convinced me that it's really good. And it, it is really good. So, yeah. Yeah, Possessor. I just moved Possessor up to number two on my list because Possessor is one of my favorite films of the decade already. Um, and it's like... 
uh, Cronenberg, uh, David Cronenberg films are obviously like The Fly is my favorite movie. Um, and so I'm, I'm partial to Cronenberg's. And uh, Possessor, it just kind of like did everything I would want from like, um, it, it's Brandon Cronenberg's voice is distinctly different, I think, than, um, Dave, than his father. But he has this like body horror thing that is obviously maybe hereditary. But he, um, it's, the film deals with a lot of themes that are kind of like very um, personal to me. Like I just feel like I, I think about these things a lot. And I mean, it's expertly made the, this kind of like, like near future world with this, um, this technology to, uh, to, to complete assassinations basically through, um, uh, virtual reality or through like augmented reality, kind of like basically like an assassin is brought into, into this machine and they can implant their, their, their consciousness into, uh, a person who kind of lives near or works around the, the target of their assassination and they can kill this, kill someone using someone else's body and then be ejected and basically like there's you can't be traced back to it that's the the premise of the film and so it deals with like stuff like um erasure of identity under um like technological development all these things and uh yeah i just think i can't wait to see the next i think brandon cronenberg has a new film uh coming out maybe next year um it's called uh it's called dragon and it looks honestly like i it or no he's got a film called dragon he's also got a film called is it infinity pool yeah with alexander skarsgård I can't wait for it. Oh, wow. I, it's gonna it's probably my most anticipated film, honestly, outside of, like outside of this year. Um, yeah, I can't wait for it. I think Brandon Cronenberg is one of my favorite directors working right now. Yeah, I need to watch it. Haven't seen it, but I'm very excited now. Yeah, it's it's an important movie to me. Okay. Um, so what's your number three? No four. Four? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my number four is Christopher Nolan's Tenet, baby. Uh, okay. First of all, I'll preface this by saying I am a huge Christopher Nolan fan. Like, if I had to point out at one filmmaker who was, like, the one who really got me into film, who really got me interested in this art form, and who really, yeah, turned me into the person that I am today, I would say Christopher Nolan. I think his movies are genius. Um, I think Memento is, like, one of the best films ever made, and Inception, and the Dark Knight trilogy, and Interstellar. Like, holy shit, this guy, he just doesn't fail and i think tenet is just another great film in his repertoire like i don't think it's one of his best films like i don't think it's like a masterpiece on the same level that inception uh or memento or you know the dark knight are uh but i really fucking love tenet i you know yes i know this movie is very dense yes it is very convoluted yes it is very challenging but i fucking love that I love that Christopher Nolan trusts their audience and is like, hey, here's a tough bone to chew on and just, you know, take as much time as you want and just think about this film and really ponder and really consider everything. And I watched this film five times, uh, like four times in theaters and another time <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. And every time I saw it, I just kept getting more details. And I remember that I had like this big piece of paper in my room where I just tried to drew sort of a <laughs> timeline of Tenet. And I tried to figure out what the fuck was going on. And like, I had many Eureka moments where I was like, holy shit, this is genius. And yeah, I, I love Tenet. I think it's an amazing film and it is filled with like so many little details that like I was telling Liam and, and Will before we began recording this, uh, that like, for instance, uh, throughout the film, um, the little kid, Elizabeth Debicki's son in the movie, he, you know, he keeps talking about going to Pompeii and like they keep referencing going to Pompeii. And I learned, you know, by reading stuff on the internet that apparently in Pompeii, there is a ruin. Uh, yes, like a, a ruin, a little sculpture called the Sator Square, mm -hmm. where which is like this, you know, polyndrome anagram sort of thing. 
where basically all the main words in Tenet come from this square, come from this little ruin. And, like, the film is, like, filled with little details like this. And, like, the film as a whole, I just think it's fucking amazing. Like, you know, the production design, the spectacle. Holy shit, he crashes a fucking plane and no CGI. He literally crashed the plane. I I, I love you, Nolan. I, <laughs> I, I doubt you're listening to this, but... Nolan, if you are... Don't underrate the fans of the real world. <laughs> Nolan, you, you changed my life. <laughs> this, this, I love Tenet. I think it's a masterpiece. Yeah, I think it was pretty good. Yeah. In the I, I saw it on IMAX. It was saw it a couple times, actually, in the yeah. theater, didn't we? Two or three times. Yeah, so. it, was, it, was, it was a good... It, was, it came at the right time, too. So, it was fun. Yeah. Um, so, my number... What, are we on oh, number we're one? on three, and we're back to... I number. never got to number four. My number four. Oh, you never oh. got to your number four. Yeah. Did we skip you somehow? We skipped me somehow. Uh, my number four is The Kid Detective. Um... It's a Canadian-made film, isn't it? Yep, it is. Who directed it? It's um, Evan Morgan. Evan Morgan, yeah. Featuring Adam Brody, which was like... Adam Brody gives the funnest performance of the year. Yeah. Um, Speaking of movies made for me, like The Wolf of Snow Hollow, The Kid Detective was made for me as well. It's like this new new noir. I wouldn't call it neo-noir. I would call it new noir. Because it's just a read... It's like taking this detective character from these old hardboiled noir films and putting them in... Today. In today. Um... And without spoiling, because it's got one of the best endings of the year. Um, really? It kind yeah. of sets things up and pays things, things off in a way that's so incredibly satisfying. Really and, shocking. And ending. shock. it's like shocking because the film is... Adam Brody has a couple of like, like laugh out loud scenes. Like I was laughing very hard watching this film. And it can get, it gets a little dark at points. And um, yeah, I think it, it, it was... It's, it was a it was an Amazon Prime film, I think. Yeah. That was kind of underseen. And I wish people more people had seen it because it's... I absolutely love it, and I kind of want to watch it again. Yeah, Canadian film, so we love that. Um, so let's go to number three for Will. Number three, The Vast of Night. Um, Andrew Patterson. Uh, this movie uh, is very significant for Liam and I. Um, it's super influential on our first short film that we made uh, called Night Swimming. Um, and it's it's just an awesome sci-fi alien abduction movie um, with one of the like more memorable like sequences of the entire year um, where... A camera like moves through the entire city in one uh, a single take. The small town in Indiana, I think. Small town in Indiana, and it's it's just it's amazing. And the opening sequence is also really really good. The dialogue is like super quippy in a good way. Um, you can barely understand what they're saying because of their accents, but it doesn't really matter. It's just like so much fun. Um, set design is amazing, and it's like in it's indie. It's an indie film, uh, super low budget, and it's uh, super inspiring. So, yeah, the Vast of Night I have is my number one <laughs> film of the year. Um, I, it, it's like an extremely important film for for Will and I. Uh, it it kind of like hit me really hard. I saw it a couple times in a couple days actually, just because I liked it so much. Um, and Andrew Patterson's filmmaking, I just think it's absolutely genius. He kind of he talks about in an interview in an interview that he was um, he was kind of taking ideas from uh, Linkletter films like uh, the before the before trilogy or Days and Confused to kind of like set up his is um the setting of the film before anything really happens and Damn. um yeah it's just it's like a lot it's like this it's like a hangout movie in this um but also alien abduction it's like an, well it's like a, a twi- it's like a riff on the twilight zone um okay. it's like because frequently we'll cut or he'll kind of reveal that we're actually watching this this story on a tv and then oh. we'll move back in and then it's kind of like the self-awareness but um it's like a twilight zone mixed with the link letter hangout film and it's like kind of it it's so it's so important to us and I, I i love the film so much um so that's my number one film my number three is that what we're doing now yeah my number three is uh is first cow um it's uh kelly reichardt, kelly reichardt. she's 
she's another one of the filmmakers that I really, really, really enjoy right now. Um, her 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 other film, Meek's Cut Off, which is another, I think, like one of the great films of the last twenty years. Um, it's it's I think Kelly Reichardt has a really, really, really keen um, sense of like an understanding of especially American film and like the lineage of American film. And uh, in terms of First Cow, it's just really, really heartwarming and um, it tells this like incredible story of these two people who unlikely friends um in this really really harsh environment and um it just it was i saw i've seen it multiple times now and i remember seeing a trailer for it this like the four by three aspect ratio and thinking oh this is another a24 another a24 trash bag yeah, yeah. and um we're a24 fans but like the a24 aesthetic there's that a24 it's kind of turned into a meme it's honestly a24 <laughs> exploitation is a thing like the bait oh. of the uh of the four by three aspect ratio kind of, and the kind of like lamb yeah Lamb would fit into this. Well, I I like Lamb, but yeah. it's you know there are films that are very much just like this aesthetic that kind of baits a twenty four fans. And I was kind of worried that's what first cow would be, but it's not. And obviously Kelly Reichardt is above that, and she's one of the great artists working today. So that's my number three. Huh. I really need to catch up on <laughs> so many of the films that you guys have mentioned yeah. and in your previous positions. But okay. Moving on, my number three film is my favorite animated film of the year. As much as I fucking adored Soul, I think my number three is even better, and it has to be uh, Tom Moore's uh, Tom Moore's Wolfwalkers. I fucking adored Wolfwalkers. This is one film that I would give ten out of ten. I think this film is an absolute masterpiece. Um, yeah, the animation style is beautiful. Like I can't stress this enough, and I know this is like a radio podcast thing, so <laughs> I know it's weird to explain animation through audio, but just believe me. God damn it! Like this animation is insane. Like th- there are some sequences where the characters begin turning into wolves, and like they they animate the way the wolves see. Like they animate scents and the way wolves see through their smell, but using drawings, and it's mm-hmm. it's insane. It blew my mind. The story is amazing. The characters are amazing. The animation is incredible. The settings are vibrant. It it, it packs a punch. It, it makes you feel. Uh, it has so many twists and turns. I, I don't know where to begin. I, I love Tom Moore. I love Cartoon Saloon. I, I think it's an, an extremely underrated animation studio. Uh, Tom Moore's previous, uh, like, you know, his other famous film being uh, Song of the Sea. I also really love Song of the Sea. But for me personally... Wolfwalkers is even better. I I adore Wolfwalkers. I I think it's a masterpiece. We'll nice. have to check it out. We'll have to check it out. It. Another animated film that we have not seen. So, so we're on number two for you, Will. Number two, not much to say. Kid Detective for me. Uh, I'll say my number one was First Cow. So those are my one two. Liam and I have the uh, same top top five. Yeah, my my uh, my one two is Vast of Night, and then Possessor number two. Nice three First Cow. So we've gone over it all now for me. Okay, so I yeah. guess it's back to me. But yeah, yeah. My, my number two is another round. We've already talked about another round. Fucking masterpiece. Amazing. But my number one, holy fuck, my number one film has to be Hamilton. You know, the, the Disney Plus filmed version of, the, of, you know, the stage performance that, you know, took Broadway by storm. Uh-huh. Hamilton, holy shit, what a masterpiece. Okay, I'll begin by saying that I was hesitant to check out Hamilton because I remember when I was in high school, there was like this little group of people who had gone to New York and had seen Hamilton and they were like, oh, holy shit, this is like, you know, the next coming of the Messiah. And I was like fucking tired of these people. I was like, shut the fuck up. What, what are you saying? Just shut up, <laughs> you know, let me leave my life. And they were like constantly trying to force people into watching Hamilton. So I, I was like, dude, come on, shut up. Um, also... You know, I just kept thinking to myself, like, a musical about the Founding Fathers? Like, how the fuck are they going to pull this off? Like, how is this going to be entertaining? But god 
damn. <laughs> then it came out in Disney Plus, like in 4th of July of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. Mm. I, I finally cracked. I was like, okay, I'm finally checking this out. I thought it was going to be overhyped. I, I thought after everything I heard, I wasn't going to enjoy it as much. But oh, did it deliver. <laughs> Holy shit. I, I think Hamilton is one of my favorite musicals, like ever. One of the best musicals I've ever seen. All the performances are sublime. The sets are sublime. The songs are sublime. The storytelling is sublime. Like, so memorable. It, it, it's just an amazing. It, it's an amazing fucking story. Everything in this musical is absolutely perfect. Just one shout out. King George. Holy fuck. Jonathan Graff <laughs> as King George. You know, Jonathan Graff, uh, most of you may know him from Mindhunter, from his role in Mindhunter. I had seen Mindhunter before. And in Mindhunter, he plays like, you know, like this very serious, like, you know, mentally weird sort of character mm. but here in hamilton he just chews scenery as king george the king mm. of england and there is one song that he sings called you'll be back that is basically him singing like this weird breakup song to the whole united states of america telling them like you'll be back like you'll move past this face and then you'll come back to the crown yeah <laughs> and holy shit that song just it, it it made me laugh so much and there's a part in that song where they do like this weird close-up on jonathan graff's face And you just see him like spit like three liters of saliva as he's singing. <laughs> and that was a moment. That song was the moment when I was like, yes, this is a masterpiece. This is not only like my, the best thing I've seen in 2020, but just one of the best things I've seen, period. Okay. Well, that's awesome. I haven't, we, I obviously haven't seen it. We, we, yeah. we have kind of stayed away from the Hamilton thing. Just, I mean, not on purpose, just because we, it, it seems like this cult that um i haven't been invited to so oh yeah i i was there with you i was okay. also avoiding this cult, <laughs> but now now i'm in yeah, okay now i know like the lyrics i can sing the songs by heart <laughs> oh. so right, i guess we have our formal invitation yeah, so so we are now we're gonna have yeah. on to the bandwagon maybe but <laughs> um so yeah i guess that will do it for our top 10 so i think what we'll do is we'll go really quickly like just run through our top 10s yep. in order so my top 10 from 10 to 1 is uh palm springs on the rocks another round I'm thinking of ending things. Sound of Metal and my top five: Wolf of Snow Hollow, uh, Kid Detective, First Cow pa Possessor, and The Vast of Night. All right, and then Will, my top ten, uh, starting with ten: The Five person. Bloods, uh, Minari, Palm Springs, On the Rocks. Uh, I'm thinking of ending things, and then top five: uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, Possessor, The Vast of Night, The Kid Detective, and finally number one: First Cow. And then my top ten: I'm Juan, by the way. I, I saw you two mention your name, so yeah, just in case you forgot, my name is Juan. Uh, but yeah, number 10, Soul. Number 9, Mank. Number 8, The Gentleman. 7, The Trial of the Chicago 7, funny enough. Uh, number 6, The Father. Number 5, Sound of Metal. Number 4, Tenet. Number 3, Wolf Walkers. Number 2, Another Round. And number 1, Hamilton. All right. Okay, well, thank you, thank everyone, you everyone for listening. For listening. Uh, we should just say we'd like to thank anyone who came out to our uh, screening that we were advertising on the show. Um, the student film screening, we had a great time. We got to show some films. It was really fun. Yep. Um, the Film Society is having, we're, we have no more events for this year. Um, this calendar year so we hope to see you all um, in the new year in a, at a screening on or, or a uh, social event so we will uh, keep everyone updated about all that but thank you so much and we will see you in our next episode hell yeah goodbye cheers cheers <laughs>